to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to discuss an article from the December issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled Cowherd Report Card Part 2, Measures of Performance. To discuss the article, I'm joined today by the co-authors, Dr. Rick Rasby, who's a Nebraska Extension Specialist, as well as T.L. Meyer, who's a Nebraska Extension Educator based at Thedford. Thanks for joining me today. You bet, Aaron. Look forward Thanks to for the conversation. Me. Yeah. Well, Rick TL, as we have this conversation, we are in early December, and this is the time of year when spring calving cows are really at a place where we start to look back and say what happened this last year in terms of cow herd performance. And in this article, you talk about some measures that we can look at to help us evaluate how the cow herd did. And there's the old adage, you can't manage what you don't measure. And so you just talk about what are some things we can look at to help us get an idea of where we're at with the cow herd and then maybe where is there some opportunities to make some change that could improve profitability? Yeah, and if I might kick it off and, and then let TL have her contribution as well in the gaps. So, you know, the, the thing that I think about, you know, this time of year, I, I think things have slowed down just a little bit and and uh, I don't know if it ever gets really slow in the cow-calf uh, enterpriser, but this would be a time to maybe go back and take a look at your records. And, and some of the things that TL and I thought about when we we put this article together is that how can you look at opportunities to increase efficiency of your cow herd and not have to maybe change weaning weight all that much? And we know how important weaning weight is in regards to the economics of that enterprise. But what can you do to to basically ramp up the efficiency of that cow herd without, without really doing a lot of other things? And so that's kind of the idea behind that. And, and so one of the things that we focus on maybe is, is calving interval you know, how can you get a, a calf out of a cow every 365 days? And then the other part of that is, is how do you have a cow herd that has a you know really good mothering ability? So the ability to raise that calf to weaning. And then some of the things we'll talk about are related back to nutrition. And so how do you have a cow herd that fits the resources that you have? And especially, you know, how do you think about milk production as well as mature weight and, and making sure that those fit your resources because they will have an impact on the efficiency of that cow calf enterprise. I would agree with what Rick said, you know, making sure our cows are producing a calf every 365 days or less, raising it to weaning and making sure those cows, both their weight and milk production fit the resources you have. So one of the critical things to having a cow wean a calf every 365 days is the time between when she calves and when she conceives again with the next calf. And in the article, you talk about the postpartum interval and highlight some key things that really can drive the length of that postpartum interval. Let's talk about those a little bit. Sometimes I think we get so busy that we don't think about some of the things that we, we can really manage that have an impact on postpartum interval. And again, that will that will impact, you know, calving interval. So the idea is postpartum interval is a time period from the time that she calves to the time that she start to exhibit ester cycles after calving. And so there's a time period in there that's called the postpartum anesterous. And postpartum anesterous is basically a, a time period that allows the cow to get reproductively ready to go again to conceive that next, that next calf. And so you think about how do you manage postpartum anesterous and postpartum interval? How can you make that, that short enough so that those cows conceive and have a calf every 365 days? And so when you take a look at it, farm man is, is typically somewhere between 40 and 60 days. And, 
And uh, the things that impact the postpartum interval, we know that age impacts that. And uh, the younger the cow is, the longer the postpartum interval. Cows that calve in, in thin body condition, they tend to have a longer postpartum interval. And the other thing that impacts that is calving difficulty. And so we do know that because you got to get the reproductive tract prepared for that next conception, if you will, is that if you have calving difficulty, the postpartum interval is going to be longer. Yeah. And I think when we look at the younger cows, you know, they're still growing, so they have extra requirements as well. Yeah. And so that contributes to a longer postpartum interval. Yeah. And the other piece of that, I just say, Aaron, is that as I think about that, you always think about body condition, the way you get body condition on cows is to make sure you got them fed right. And and sometimes I think we think that if we feed too much late in that gestation is that we can, we can actually increase calving difficulty, especially in young cows. But I, I would say that the thing that I wouldn't want folks, well, the data says that you just can't starve calving difficulty out of, out of young females. And so you might as well feed them right, okay? And the way that you manage calving difficulty, especially in young females, I'm talking about first calvers, is that you you manage bull selection. And so the idea that you can feed calving difficulty out and then shorten the postpartum interval, actually, if you do that, you'll lengthen the postpartum interval. And so there's so many interactions that are going on here between the three things that, that, that TL and I have mentioned, is that you really got to make sure that you got your ducks in a row so that that you're really working on all three of them. So one of the things you talk about in the article is, you know, we want to manage that postpartum interval. We want that cow to get rebred and stay on schedule, calve every 365 days. What are some measures we need to think about in terms of, as we think about that, what's an acceptable breed up? What's an acceptable weaning rate in terms of cows exposed to breeding that we intended to keep? So this would not be Older cows that, you know, went out with the bull, but we're planning to sell them anyway. These are cows that we want to get pregnant. We want to retain in the herd and then have them calve again. What's an acceptable weaning rate per cow exposed from your perspective as we think about the beef cow herd? That's a really good question. And it does change a little bit in regards to environments. But if that's too low, there's no way that 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 enterprise can be economical. So I think that's the thing that we ought to think about. The other thing is, is that we included how do you manage the postpartum interval? Because if they have a long postpartum interval to maintain a 365-day calving interval, they may only have one chance to get rebred. The other thing is, is if we don't manage that postpartum interval properly, is that some of the young cows, they may not cycle until towards the end of the breeding season or maybe even after the breeding season if things have really gone awry during that uh, during that time period between calving and the start of the breeding season. So there are some things to really think about there. But if you're talking about weaning percentage, to me, if you take a look at the old CHAPS data, somewhere between 88, 90%, you'd need to be into that in that percentage to be economical. You could be a little bit lower depending on your resources, and you could be a little bit higher depending on your resources as well. But to me, if it's lower than 88%, I think the idea is that you need to go back and take a look at where the fallout is occurring at. And I think, Rick, you mean 88%, right, of calves weaned per females exposed? exposed. Yes, yeah. And so that would mean that you'd have to have a pretty good breed up, right? Yeah. You'd have to to be in the breed up area on the total cow herd would need to be somewore, you know, greater than 90%, right? Yeah, and I think... 
I think you probably need to be in the low 90s, somewhere in that 92, 93, because if we have 93% of cows preg, pregged as, you know, with calf and a 1% to 2% loss from preg check till calving is not unusual. So that gets yep. us down around, you know, 91 or 90. And then that doesn't let us lose many calves between there and weaning. Yeah, and that, that's exactly right. And so that's the reason why managing the postpartum interval in anesters is so, so doggone critical because you get cows ready to breed early in the breeding season and they get more than one opportunity to get bred, although you want them bred early in the breeding season as well. But I'd agree with you, uh, TL and Aaron, if, uh, if, if, that's, if that's below, if that breed up's lower than 90%, you're already behind the eight ball. So they think about getting cows in good shape. I think one of the things we always talk about is nutrition and the importance of that. This yeah. is a little bit of a double-edged sword because we're trying to be economical on one hand, but then on the other hand, we're trying to get cows rebred. And we know that quality feed, especially between calving and breeding is an important part of that. Now, depending on when you're calving, that sure could change that. But even for those who are later spring calvers, I would say May-June calvers, one of the challenge that happens with that is we have cows breeding in late summer when sometimes forged quality is on the decline. So say there's a need to pay attention to nutrition whatever time of the year you're calving in and recognizing some of the challenges that go with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I think when TL and I discussed the article, I think there's not a lot of flexibility, I think, on first calf females. I think that that you 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 got to do the selection right for your herd. But to me you got to shoot to calve them at a condition score six. That doesn't mean they're fat by any means, but but when you take a look at the idea that they have a longer postpartum interval, no matter what, if you calve them thinner, then basically what you do is you increase that postpartum interval. And so uh, I, I don't know if there's a lot of flexibility for young females. Now that might be a little bit different in uh, in fall calving herds, but I'm not sure it's much different. But I, I think the idea of of being able to calve them at condition score six, or at least that would be the target for for first calf females. First calf females, they're the ultimate multitasking animal because they're <laughs> yeah. they're growing, they're um, yeah. raising a calf, milking. Um, so yeah, body condition score six is really where they need to be. Now we did mention in that article that um, Molinex and others had shown that you could have cows calve in a in a lower body condition, but it's going to take years of selection to get there. So yep. that's when you talk double-edged sword, that's yeah. something to consider as well. Yeah. And, and uh, to me, if, if you calve them thinner uh, in a condition score four, there's a lot of things that have to happen right after calving, you know, especially for spring calving cows, March calving cows is uh, one, you sure can't be uh, slacking on the TDN side of things. And if you get into inclement weather where cattle are wet or in mud for long periods of time, it'll just continue to drag some body condition off of them and increase the uh, the postpartum interval. So I, I'd agree with, with TL is that Tra Travis has some really good data that, you know, there's not a lot of difference between cows at cabin four, five, and six. But the other idea is that is that it depends on how much risk you want to take. And And to me, you know, it, it is a double-edged sword, nutrition and reproduction. And uh, to me, how do you how do you find what that sweet spot is for your operation? And it's kind of like, is the, the porridge too hot, too cold, or just right? And the idea is let's, over time, you'll find out what is just right. Well, I think one of the other challenges for me, would like your perspective on this as well, is 
you know, let's say we're at a 88, 90% breed up right now. What's the cost to pick up another three or 4% breed up? And so, you know, 90% yep. of those cows got pregnant on our current system. If we're trying to move to say 94 or five, we're going to feed everything. Yeah. Uh, if, if we're putting that as an input in the system. So I think we really got to be careful to think through, you know, if we're wanting to make a change, what's the cost of that change for the impact we're going to get? And uh, that's that's a principle that applies across all decision making. But that's one that's challenging for me uh, as we think about this situation. I, I'd agree. And the, the thing is, is that, you know, you can increase reproductive performance. You just you just have to feed them more. Right. But what's the balancing act there? Right. Because you can put a lot of feed in and maybe increase maybe one or two percent, but boy, it can be expensive. And so that's the reason why in the article it, we, we mentioned the idea of being able to make sure you got you got cow size and milk production to fit the resources that you're you're managing those cows on. Because we all know feed costs are the greatest cost in the cow calf enterprise. But that's where that's where the eye of the manager is really important because because you got to be able to pick up change fairly quickly, both in a in a positive and a negative direction. But I think that's a challenge for a lot of producers is that you, you see those cows every day and sometimes you don't pick up change as quickly as we need to pick up change. And that's not to say that that they aren't looking at cows, but when you look at them every day, it's it's hard to pick up change in a positive or negative direction. Rick TL, anything else you'd like to highlight in this article as we point towards wrapping up? Maybe one thing I'd, I'd talk about is, is I think the thing that TL and I have focused on, at least in the first two articles, is is how can you increase efficiency of the cow herd without really having to change the genetic program all that much? Because if you're already in a sweet spot with cow size and milk production, and, and we know how important weaning weight is, here's some things that you can work on to actually change weaning weight without having to select for cow size and milk production. And as I think about economics, we all know that in the uh, in unit cost production, uh, what is the numerator denominator? The denominator is 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 weaning weight, right? So how can you do that without really changing the cow herd all that much, especially if you're already in, in a sweet spot? I couldn't have said it any better. Oh, Rick TL, thanks for joining me today. I think you have one more article in this series coming out. That'll be in January. Yep. And so uh, we'll look forward to visiting you again then. All right. Hey, thanks, Aaron. Thank you. For more information on the article that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, you can find this article at the beef.unl.edu website. Again, the title of the article, Cowherd Report Card Part 2, Measures of Performance.